So I have several points, and my first one is uh, a comparison, a comparison of righteousness. And Paul makes that comparison in our text. Uh, As he begins the text, he gives us a warning. And uh, in the Greek language, uh, it comes out a little stronger, uh, but uh, in English it comes out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Three times he tells us, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who cut or mutilate the flesh. And so we ought to pay attention. Amen? Oh, by the way, I I need to tell you something. Uh, When I say amen with a question mark, that means you should say amen. Okay? Just so you know. little training. little training. Um, So, and, and by the way, you can say amen at any time you agree with something that's biblical. All right? If it's not biblical, you can remain silent. Or you can say you need to fix that. Okay? That would be a problem. Now, Paul gives us this warning on purpose because he's about to compare himself with these people, these people he's warning us about. They are, in fact, the party of what was known as uh, the circumcision party. They um, believed that people who had become Christians, who had asked Christ into their life and were following him, that faith was not enough. It was not enough for you to claim Christ if you, in fact, were a Gentile, you actually needed to be culturally, become culturally a Jew. And the way you became Jewish, especially if you were a man, was that you would be circumcised. You have a physical part of your body cut off in order to show your radical commitment to God. And that was just the beginning of a life that they thought should be lived according to the law. So, yes, it's fine to have faith, in this person named Jesus, who was the Son of God, they, they seemed to accept that. But yet they, they took the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and they added something to it. Now here's a clue. Anytime anybody adds anything to grace, it's no longer grace. Anytime anybody takes grace and says, no, grace is not enough, you need to do this and that and this and that, you need to do A, B, C, to beat no, you have Therefore, spoiled grace. You don't do that. We are saved by grace through faith. And that's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. There you go. All right. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So Paul is setting up this comparison of righteousness. And he says to them, if they think they have something to glory in, in the flesh, I have more. And this is, this is one of those passages in which Paul is kind of bragging. And he, he, he brags to demonstrate that his critics and the critics of the Philippians and the people who would distract them from grace, the people who would pull them away, really, from a total commitment on Jesus Christ, that they really don't have the credentials he has. And so he listed here in Philippians 3. Do you see what he says? And, and now, now, just before we get there, let, let me point this comparison out. He says they are, and in the Greek, again, this is a little bit clearer, and I thank John Calvin for pointing this out to me in one of his commentaries. But it says there in the Greek, he says, they are the mutilators of the flesh. 
And that is a, a word that is really a pun on the word circumcision. It's not circumcision. It's cutters of the flesh. Circumcision is like around the flesh. And he says, they want to cut your flesh, but we are the circumcision. You go, Pastor, didn't you just say that circumcision was adding something to grace? No, what he means is spiritual circumcision. We're going to read in a few minutes in Romans, and Paul makes this point. Paul says it's not the circumcision of the flesh that's important. It's the circumcision of the heart. And so Paul makes this con- contrast with them. They, they want to cut on your body, but Jesus cuts on your heart. And we are the ones who glory in him, not in the flesh. And then he gets into this comparison, and he says... I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, that's the biblical pattern. You have a baby boy It's on the eighth day that he should be circumcised. I, Paul says, that happened to me. He said, look, I, I am Jewish. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I, I even know my tribe. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, uh, as, as to touching the law... I was a Pharisee. Now, you may not know what that means, but that is some radical commitment. Now, most of us in our life are familiar with people who pursue things for excellence. If you've been in the military, you know that you have to train to be excellent. If you are an athlete, if you're competing in something, in a race, you train to be excellent. If you're in academics, even in academics, they call the subject of study there discipline, because it takes discipline to achieve. Those people in, you know, if you've finished college, if you've gone to graduate school, if you've worked on a PhD, it's a singular focus to accomplish an end. And Paul said, I pursued righteousness for righteousness sake. As, as touching zeal, I persecuted the church. He said, you people who, who are opposed uh, to grace, I, I was beyond you. Now, I have a problem, by the way, when I read this, because I'm not Jewish. And I'm really, I, I, this, this is not my background. When Paul says that he was trying to be righteous as Gentile, that was not me. Uh my future, if I had been left to myself as a Gentile, was a future of hedonism, licentiousness, dissipation. Don't you love all those old English words? You know, in other words, I was going to live an immoral life for my own pleasure, and I would have wasted my life. Discipline wasn't something I wanted, especially not righteousness for righteousness' sake. I come from a Gentile background, so when I read this... I say, Paul, you kind of lost me. Now we need to go to Romans, because this is where he catches us up again. I was looking for my phone, but I realized I left it sitting next to my wife over there. That's fine. I got a Bible up here. Going old school with a paper Bible. Now, here in Romans chapter 2, he he brings up, so this, this issue of circumcision, and he brings up the issue of Gentiles and Jews. 
So let's start reading here in chapter 2, verse 25. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now we're going to skip down uh, into chapter 3, verse 9, so please hang with me. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Powerful, powerful word. Now let's hear this, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And here is where, as a Gentile, I get my hope. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Amen. So when I read this in Philippians 3, I can have hope because of what he says in Romans. There is no distinction. There's no difference. Paul was a sinner, although he was a legalistic Jew. I'm a sinner, I was a hedonistic Gentile. That means there's hope for everybody in this house. Every one of you can come to God and be forgiven of your sins, not by your own efforts, but by the grace of God that is shown in Jesus Christ. Righteousness that comes from God, that is through faith. Let me move on to my second point. (coughs) I'll try to be fast. I know it's 
it's hard in this heat. Our confidence must not be in ourselves. So my first point is the comparison of righteousness. And now our confidence not, must not be in ourselves. Paul says uh, here in verse 3 that we are the circumcision, the spiritual circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul had that fleshly confidence that we've talked about. If anybody could have gloried in it, he could. This is a key word in this passage, and that's the word confidence. What is your confidence in? You know, when, as you go through your life, your everyday life, where do you have your confidence? Are you shaken by things that happen to you at work, at school, in your family? Are you shaken by the fear of death? Are, you know, when you fail, when you sin, when you, when you give in a temptation, do you have any confidence left? Are you destroyed? Are you demoralized? Paul is saying, I put no confidence in the flesh. Nothing that I've achieved gives me that confidence. It's got to only come from one place, and that's Jesus Christ. And by the way, once you have your confidence in Jesus Christ, all the storms of life that would shake you don't. You have an anchor for your soul. You have a rock. You are hidden in the cleft of the rock, as the hymn writers say. So we need to glory and have confidence in Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? Boy, that was a quick... Uh, Second point. Now we're on our third point. It's time to account for what we are counting on. It's time to account for what we are counting on. Paul says he counted as loss everything he thought of as his own personal gain. This is in verse 7. I count everything but loss. So he took all of that achievement as a self-righteous Jew, as somebody as touching righteousness in the law. He says, perfect. That's an amazing statement. I mean, if you're going to be orthodox, if you're going to try to adhere to every single thing, and can you make that claim? And he, he did. He said, when I lived that life, you could find no fault in me for trying to keep the law. I did everything I was told to do, everything I knew to do, I did. But I counted all his laws. It's nothing. I count it, he says, as rubbish. Wow. And brothers and sisters, as, you know, I don't know if there's anybody here who's not yet a believer in Christ, but I, I just would appeal to you, please, do not stake your eternal soul and your destiny on your achievements. Don't be so foolish as to compare yourself with other people and to think, I'm better than them, surely God will have mercy on me. That, that's a foolish comparison. In fact, I, I, I failed to mention the key comparison that you and I need to make. It's not a Jew with other Jews. It's not Jews to Gentiles. It's you to God. That's the only comparison that counts. And see, God says, be holy, for I am holy. The, 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 
the call of perfection is not in comparison to human beings. It's compared to God. And in that comparison, you fail. In that comparison, you, have, you don't have a chance. If you stood at the judgment and you said to a holy God, God, look at me, I'm pretty good. The laughter would ring out through the courts of heaven. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. You're not really good. You're broken. You're bent. You're wounded and you're hurt. And the only way out is to cry out to me for mercy and to be washed in the blood of Christ. Come to me by faith and not in your arrogance. It's time to account for what we are counting on. Don't count on yourself. Paul says, everything that was gained to me, I count but loss compared to what I would have in Christ Jesus. Because to gain Christ is of surpassing worth. You know, the world, of course, is so attractive. These are spiritual things we're talking about, and it's really hard sometimes by faith to say, wait a minute, the world is, is concrete, it's, it's physical, it's something I can put my hands in, it's, it gives me pleasure, it, it, it provides for me. Even the good things of life, and there are a lot of good things in life, things like family, things, things like meaningful work and contribution to society, and there's a lot of good things in life. Those, those are not sin until they become your God. You replace God with those things. Jesus Christ is a surpassing worth. Paul says, you know, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he did. All that career, all that life that he lived, all that he studied under Gamaliel, all, you know, he, he lost it all for the sake of Jesus. In fact, his very own people wanted him dead. Count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. John Calvin gives this uh, great illustration. Uh, he says, you know, and, and it's almost taken from the life of Paul because this happened to Paul. Paul was one time on a ship and the ship got caught in a storm. And the, the, the people who ran the vessel, they were trying to make harbor because they knew that in order to save themselves and the ship, they would have to throw the cargo overboard. And that, that's a radical moment. You know, if, if your whole life is business and this is, you know that you can make it, uh, in life, if you get your cargo to port, you can sell it, you will have an income. But if you have to throw your cargo into the ocean in order to save the ship, to save your own life, you go bankrupt. So, you know, that's a hard choice. A choice to make. My future now has to be thrown out. But if I die, I have no future. So here you are on a ship caught in a storm. The winds are battering it. The ship's about to come apart. And you have a choice to make. And John Calvin says, this is the choice Paul made. And it was the choice, everything's a loss. Get it overboard. Throw it off. Get out of here, because it will not save me. And that's our choice as human beings when we come to Christ. I would rather 
live in Christ and have this cargo I've accumulated in my life that I thought would give me a future, but actually it's no future at all. It's shipwreck. Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Read it, read it with me. Please follow along in verse 8 as we finish this chapter, uh, this portion. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. See, even Gentiles can have that. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, that's kind of radical commitment. It's one thing to say, hey, I I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I even want the resurrection. I don't want to suffer. But here the call to Christ is, you follow me. You carry a cross with me. Lord, have mercy. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, we, we have a very old religion and it has this very old concept that we live for this hope, the resurrection of the dead. Don't be confused by the sentimentalism of the world at funerals when they say he's gone to the great beyond or, you know, and they, they, they equalize everybody or they just say death is the end. No, no, no. The scriptures teach there is a judgment. And there is a resurrection. And that is where you need to set your eyes. And you will only get there in Christ. May God help you to throw off everything in your life that would keep your eyes focused on him, that you may gain Christ, that you might know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. Father, please bless the reading, the hearing, the teaching, the believing of your holy word. Amen.